Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Tiffany Grant is a self-proclaimed money nerd, and after years of giving impromptu advice to family and friends, she started Money Talk with Tiff, a blog where she covers a wide variety of money topics from saving for retirement to paying off student loans. On Money Talk with Tiff, she offers practical tips and tricks to use in everyday life, and she shows people how they can live below their means so they can retire comfortably. By saving, keeping a close eye on her credit, and living below her means, she bought a house at the age of 26, while being a single mom of two kids. She has aspirations of being debt-free, besides her house, by the age of 30. You have so many amazing accomplishments, and we actually have a lot in common. We both bought a house at the age of 26, and we both recently attended a timeshare presentation. The only difference, though, is that you didn't buy, and I did. But don't worry, I returned it two days later, and we could talk about that. All right, Tiffany. So what are some of the most important things that people should know about timeshares? All right. So number one, um, what hit me the hardest was the cost. So they're very expensive. Um, The one that I went to, the first quote they gave me was $32,000 with a yearly maintenance fee of $400. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) like this is a whole nother mortgage payment. Um, And then the second thing, there are a lot of hidden fees, which I'm sure we'll get into later. And the interest rate was 17% if I would have bought it from them that day. The third thing, they use every sales tactic in the book. (laughs) I mean, it was textbook sales to a T. And, And then the fourth thing, in my opinion, they're really not worth it. Um, I mean, I've had a lot of success just using various tools like Google Flights and Priceline and things like that to get very cheap travel. So when you're looking at the upfront cost and then the yearly maintenance and then the transfer fees and all these other hidden fees, to me, it just wasn't worth it. I've also found that these presentations are time-consuming. A lot of times you're tackling it on to your vacation. And I personally, when I bought my timeshare, I was sitting there for like a good four or five hours. Like I started at 8 a.m. and I wasn't out there until like 2. So it is super, super time-consuming as well. Yeah, definitely. I know mine, they said it was supposed to be 90 minutes. (laughs) So that's what we slated for because we were going to go to the beach afterwards. Ended up being three hours. I was like, they really suck you in and try to like make it so long. So that way you just say yes at the end. For me, I felt a little bit uncomfortable. Like I kind of felt like I was I was contributing to her livelihood, the salesperson's livelihood. And if I said no, that, you know, she wouldn't be able to eat tonight. So it was just weird. It was like a very, like, interesting, interesting dynamic. Let's talk about the certain demographics that these timeshares target. Yeah. So while I was there, I was doing kind of like a covert operation. (laughs) I felt like a spy because I was chatting up, you know, quite a few salespeople and also salespeople from other properties. And 
I, I realized that they have income thresholds. So if you don't meet the income threshold, um, then they won't look at you. They have age thresholds. So um, one salesperson, I told him I was 27 and he his response was, well, you might not be old enough. And so I was like, well, what if I make 50,000 a year? And then he's like, well, hold on, let me see if I can get an exception. So they kind of, um, I guess it's like, ageism, like they don't expect a 27 or younger person to be making such an amount of money. So they just look over you. And then also I noticed that there were a lot of minorities and it was a lot of people with families. So it was a lot of couples with their children and things like that. So I thought that was very interesting as well. Yeah, they're definitely focusing in on their target audience and demographics. And if you don't fit the bill, then you're not even invited. So a little bit how the timeshare works is that for like for me, I went to a hotel in Chicago and I was approached and, I was, and they were saying like, hey, why don't you come down for a three night stay in either Orlando or Myrtle Beach? And all you have to do is sit down for uh you know an hour presentation and we'll give you a discounted stay and we'll give you a discounted tickets to Disney World. I don't know what the target demographic was. However, when I did go down to the times of presentation, they said to me like if you do not accept this offer again, don't expect to come back to this uh resort and get the discount that we offer. So, I was like, "Uh-huh, very 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 interesting." Yeah, they said the same thing to us, too. And that's one of the sales tactics I wrote about. He was like, well, you can't come back for 10 years. We're going to put you on a list. Like once I scan this card or whatever, whatever the case may be, they won't invite us back. And I mean, we were like, that's fine. <laughs> um, but they made it seem like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and that if you don't get it today, it's gone forever, so on and so forth. Yeah. So what were some of the sales tactics that they used on you and your family? Okay, so that was one. Um, the once in a lifetime, couldn't come back for 10 years. Um, they took us over to this computer and they told us to type in our zip code. And when they did, it pulled up about 200 and some odd people in our zip code. And he said, these are the people that are already owners. So that was a sales tactic saying, well, if they have it, then I must need it too. Another thing, they had all of their properties all over the walls and they were showing us all of the properties in Vegas and Florida and California, wherever the case may be. And they were just mentioning how beautiful it was. Mind you, they didn't get into the transfer fees, but they were saying, you know, if you're an owner here, you can go to all these other places. So they highlighted the positives, but skipped over the negatives. So that was the second sales tactic. Then they talked about the kids' college savings. So they were saying, if you buy a timeshare, the money that you save from traveling, which would be like $200,000, could go towards your kid's college savings and things like that. And I'm just like, huh? <laughs> but mind you, I did have my kids there. So they were using the kids a lot. Um, another sales tactic was they were saying I can pass it on to my kids. 
once I die or whatever the case may be, they'll be able to enjoy it and my grandkids can enjoy it and my great grands can enjoy it and things like that. Now, me being really into finance, you know, I've heard stories of how most people are just trying to get rid of them. You know, if they were passed down to them, (laughs) they're trying to get rid of them. And then another one, when we were sitting at the sales table, You know, I don't know if you've ever bought a car or if anybody in the audience has ever bought a car, but they call in the reinforcements, a.k.a. the manager, a.k.a. like probably the top salesperson. (laughs) Um, And then they come with these outrageous figures. So he went from 32,000 down to 11,000. And by the time we were about to leave, they went all the way to 4,000. Me being a business major, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, there's no way you can go from 32000 to 4000 and turn a profit if that's really how much it costs. And then the last one, even though they said no pressure, it really was just like you were saying. I mean, they wear you down <laughs> to the point where you feel like you need to say yes, like you have to say yes. You just gave me seven sales tactics that they tried to use on you. And I'm very proud because you said no. (laughs) And on the opposite, of course, I said yes. But I also wanted to add another sales tactic that they talked about is they highlighted the positives and they ignored the negatives. And they kind of flipped it a little bit. So, for example, Hilton was saying, We are international. You'll find us in Thailand. You'll find us in France. You'll find us. And that's awesome. They are international. There are more places than just the U.S., but they're not worldwide, meaning that there are many places that they do not have resorts in. Like, I want to go to Ethiopia. I want to go to Tanzania. And it's unlikely that Hilton will have a resort there that will fit that model. So I also wanted to talk about and say that It's important to really listen in and what happens is when you actually buy and you try to book, you're going to find out like, wow, this is not actually what I thought it would be. So that's why I'm just saying be very wary when you do attend the Times of Presentations because they will wear you down on a lot, a lot of sales tactics. Some other tactics that I discovered also is they kind of try to figure out what your travel style is. So once they found out that I was a travel blogger, they were like, oh, you're a travel blogger. You have all this wonderful and great experience. What's your travel style? And for me, I really have no problem staying at a hostel and I have no problem staying at an Airbnb. And then they started talking about, well, you know, you can upgrade your travel style and vacation in these beautiful resorts instead of staying at a hostel they kind of lure you in that way which is which is interesting and they talk about how much savings that you can save in let's say a 40 year time span and for me as a budget conscious financially savvy traveler i'm looking at what's the next trip you know i'm looking at very short term how can i save in this next trip and not necessarily like this long time horizon so that's some of the things that i thought was interesting and they also they actually like take you around the property on a tour. So they make you see what you're gonna quote unquote get. So I think that was these are like some interesting ways that they trying to, you know, get you to commit. 
They gathered so much information about me, like my travel style, how much I normally spend on my vacations. If I could travel anywhere, they actually made me write down what my dream destinations are. And if I bought a timeshare, what would what would my dream and what my goal be? And for me, it's traveling more with my family. Like I would love to travel with my my extended family, my mom, my grandparents. And, you know, staying at hostels isn't really something that I think will appeal to them. So that is, I think, an, another just, just, it's just so interesting. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, they almost got me at one point because they said, oh, like when the manager came, he was like, well, we can sell you this property in Orlando, which I was like, ooh, because I have family there and I do go there at least once a year. So I'm like, hmm, so maybe I can actually use it. And then I had to, you know, backtrack and think a little bit because I almost said yes. And I told them, I was like, can you give me a minute? (laughs) Um, Because I don't really like making snap decisions. And I'm so glad I didn't fall for it. But it just goes to show that the sale tactics are so strong that even though you may be savvy about money or you may be um, conscious about money, you still might get caught. And you know what? I definitely did get caught. I got caught. It's interesting because when I bought my house last year, I felt really happy and proud walking away from signing the gazillion papers. And when I walked away from the timeshare that I bought, I didn't feel I didn't feel that happiness that I felt before. So that's when I knew that something may be a little bit off and I was in Orlando, so I went to Disney World that day. And when I came back, luckily it was a very short trip, so I was back by Monday. I said, you know what, let me just comb through the documents. And then I saw the fees, which were ridiculous. And it's something that I knew that I couldn't, I really couldn't keep up with, to be honest. With that being said, do you think that you would attend another timeshare presentation? You know what? I would. (laughs) And only for the benefit. Mind you, we got a free three-day, two-night vacation um, for me, my boyfriend, and my boy. So that was awesome. Then they gave us vouchers for two more vacations. And they said, we don't have to listen to a quote-unquote presentation again. So I was like, okay, that's nice. We haven't booked that yet, but coming soon. (laughs) Um, Then they gave us a $50 gift card to Longhorn Steakhouse. So that's date night for us. And I mean, we had a really good time. Like we had some good memories. My um, sons tried cheesesteak for the first time. (laughs) Um, We went to the beach. My son had fun in the waves. My other, my youngest son was scared. So we just sat and played in the sand. Um, So, I mean, it was a really good vacation. So yeah, I would go on an all expenses paid timeshare vacation again, but would I purchase? Absolutely not. Right. And to speak about the discounts, I ended up going to Disney World and I had two adult tickets to Animal Kingdom and two uh, water park tickets for $189. So that meant that I literally had two days at Disney with four adult tickets for $189. That was an amazing, amazing deal. And you don't really get that (laughs) everywhere. So for the free and discounted uh, benefits and perks, I actually also would go to another times presentation again, but definitely not buy. And I would definitely be more stern up front. I'd be like, I'm not interested. 
and I am leaving now and I have to go. And it's funny you say that because when I was talking to a salesperson from another property, he said, if you stay longer than two or three hours, that's your fault. So Tiffany, tell me a little bit about your travel style and if you have any travel goals for the year. So typically when I go on vacation, um, I do a lot of traveling by myself, honestly, Um, when it comes to like going international. um, Then when I'm domestic, sometimes I take my boys, but as you probably know or don't know, um, traveling with kids is expensive because I would have to pay for plane tickets for all three of us. Um, so usually when I take my boys, it's something that's drivable. So, you know, we've been to Orlando, we've been to Myrtle beach, we've been to North Carolina beaches, Virginia beach, things like that. Um, when they get older and they can actually understand what's going on, um, then I'll start buying the plane tickets for them and taking them with me. Um, when I go international, I do have a goal of doing, one domestic and one international trip a year, um, which I have been doing um, pretty regularly. This year, I missed my international, but it's okay. The year's not over. So (laughs) um, hopefully I can get that in before December. And when you're traveling in terms of like, how, how do you travel solo? And do you stay at hotels? Do you stay at Airbnbs? Yeah, so usually I go to Priceline. Um, That's usually my go-to express deals. I use that often. So you don't get to know the name of your hotel. You only see um, where the area it's located in and um, you book it at a discounted price. Then once you check out, then you get to see the name of it and then you can do your research and things like that. Um, It is non-refundable, but I've been targeting like three-star and it's always over been over my expectations. So when I went to D.C., that's what I use. And the hotels are gorgeous. They're nice. That's usually my go-to for lodging. And then when it comes to plane tickets, I usually use Google Flights um, because that scours the Internet and finds the best prices for flights possible. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about home ownership. Tell us about your home ownership journey and what made you decide to buy a house at 26? All right. So being um, very into finance, I was able to um, save, you know, at least enough for a, a decent down payment. Um, I mean, it wasn't the full 20 percent, I'll be honest, but it was pretty decent. The only reason, well, one of the reasons I decided to pull the trigger was, A, I was in an apartment And they were talking about raising the rent (laughs) to way above what a mortgage would have cost. And then two, um, I keep up with the economy and what the Fed is doing, Um, the Fed meaning the Federal Reserve. And I noticed that they were starting to raise the federal funds rate, which in return um, affects interest rates, both for borrowing and saving. So I knew that interest rates were going to start going up soon. So that's why I decided to pull the trigger last April. They had already raised it maybe once or twice that year. And I was like, it's only going up from here. (laughs) Um, So I went ahead and started the journey. And, you know, I wasn't even 
looking to buy a house at that time, I was just like, hey, let's see what happens. And then lo and behold, here I am. But it actually worked out very well because like I said, the apartment that I was in that I love, they were going up and I'm very open. I'll be honest with what my payment is. So my um, apartment was going up to $850 a month for a two bedroom, two bath. Well, I'm in a house, single family, three bedrooms, two bath, huge yard, and I'm only paying $765. And that includes um, insurance and everything. And I want to say for people who think that you need to have 20% down, that is an old myth. If you have an FHA loan, a lot of times it's between 3 and 5%. So I encourage if you are interested in purchasing a home, seeing if you qualify from for some other types of loans instead of conventional loans where your down payment doesn't have to be that large. And guess what? Without a large down payment, you're going to have to make repairs in your house. You're going to want to paint. You're going to want to buy furniture. One of the things I realized in my journey was not everybody's honest. So I had a good real estate agent. She was great. But the real estate agent on the other side, the seller's real estate agent, he was very um, shysty, so to speak. (laughs) Um, I mean, even to the point where my real estate agent was threatening him to, like she was going to go to the governing body and report him because he was leaving out material facts, wasn't returning phone calls um, when I had questions about some things in the house. And and so I learned from that experience that even though people are supposed to do what is right, you know, as far as their real estate ethics, um, not everybody does. So I learned that. (laughs) And I mean, when I first moved in, one of the things that they were supposed to fix was the backyard. It flooded really bad. Well, I guess they, the seller said that she brought in dirt and they fixed it. Well, it wasn't until after I closed, it rained really bad. And I noticed that my backyard became a pond. So they really didn't fix it, but it was already closed. I already closed on the house. So I had to spend about, I think it was $1,700 to fix the backyard, which was supposed to already be done. I have a question for you, Tiffany. So when I moved in, my neighbors were like, oh, hi, welcome. Are you by yourself? And they were so surprised that I had purchased a home by myself. Did you get any similar reactions to that? Yes, I have this one neighbor. Um, (laughs) I call her Nosy Nancy. I mean, she's her name's not really Nancy, but she is very nosy. And she came over and she was like, hey, um, are your parents here? And I'm like, "Um, I am the owner. (laughs) I was like, this is actually my house because... You know, my grandparents came over and my grandma was doing work in the yard because that's what she loves to do. So I guess she thought that it was their house and I was just here. And I was like, well, no, I'm actually your neighbor. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think people are really shocked that I'm so young and I made this purchase. But, you know, when you're good at budgeting and you have the funds, that's what you can do. I'm going to be honest and say that when I decided to buy a house and I bought the house, I had family members come to me and approach me and said, maybe you should have waited until you had a husband or a partner. And 
I was like, wait, wait, wait. I don't even, at the time, I didn't even have a partner. So I'm not going to like miss opportunity. For example, you're talking about how the Fed Reserve, the rates were going up and I already had the cash saved up. And this was my plan for all along for me to wait for a partner. If you don't have a partner personally, I feel like just keep going. And then when you do find your partner, you guys can come together and have something already built, a nice foundation to grow and keep moving up. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm a single mom with two kids because a lot of people like use single motherhood as an excuse too. And I mean, I, I feel like you can do whatever. And at the time I didn't have, you know, a boyfriend or anything, but I'm just like, look, this is what I want to do. I can do it by myself. I'm going to do it. And you got it done. That's the important part. So how did you prepare for this big purchase? Walk us through maybe step by step on what did you do to uh, make this dream a reality? Right. So I already had um, quite a bit saved up because, you know, I'm all about the emergency fund and things like that. And my credit was great. You know, I've But ever since I was about 21, I've been keeping a close eye on my credit and, you know, making sure that it's up to par because that's how you get the best interest rates. And that's how you can pretty much get whatever you want. (laughs) Um, I mean, use that um, power with some restraint. But um, yeah, so I pretty much just years of keeping up with my credit score. And then when I approached the mortgage lender, which I had a dream team. I mean, the combination between my mortgage lender and my real estate agent and my lawyers, um, they were great. So, you know, I told him, I'm like, look, I don't know if I'll be able to get a house. I'm just calling you so you can run the numbers and see if it's even worth my time. And I was like, I don't want a hard inquiry. So if you can just, you know, take the credit score that I'm telling you, run the numbers and let me know if it's even worth having that hard inquiry on my credit report. And he was awesome. I mean, he sat there, crunched the numbers without putting a hard inquiry on there. (laughs) And he was like, you know, Tiffany, I think you would qualify for this amount. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So, and honestly, I didn't really, like I said, I wasn't thinking about buying a house at the time. Honestly, one of my coworkers was in the process and just seeing her come in every day and she's like, oh, we can't find anything. Oh, this one is good. Uh, And, you know, just listening to her process. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should try it. (laughs) And that's really how it started. And it went from not looking to offer on the table in like a week at that time. Things were going so fast. I mean, the house that I ended up buying, I looked at it and then I had to put in an offer that night and they already had like five offers. Yeah. So it was like the real estate agent on the other end, they were like last and final offers are due by this time. And I just had to, you know, put the offer that I wanted and I I even wrote a letter to the seller because when I was touring her home, I noticed that she was too a single mom with two kids. So I wrote a letter and I'm like, you know, we're both the same, you know, and 
I, I love what you did with the house. I want to, um, you know, have it as something that my kids can grow up in and that I can pass on to them and this, that, and the other. And I feel like that letter is probably what set me apart from the other buyers. And she actually took the offer because I told her in the letter, I'm like, this might not be the best offer, but I can tell you it's probably the most valuable. That is very, very touching and um, something that I had never considered before. So writing a letter to to the seller, that's a really great tip. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like that is what made me get the house, honestly. And I just went off on a hunch because, you know, you, you see it on TV sometimes. Like, I don't know if you watch um, HGTV, but sometimes they write a letter to the owner. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try it. And that's what sets you apart. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. So I have two last questions for you. And uh, the first one is, what are some of your favorite podcasts? I listened to a ton of personal finance podcasts. I wanted to pick your brain and know what your favorites were. Oh my gosh. I have so many. I actually just wrote a post on this um, a couple of days ago. I love Dave Ramsey. We've already established that. He's like the guru of personal finance. And I do loosely follow his baby step. So Dave Ramsey, I love Clark Howard because he's all about deals and being frugal. So that's where I learned about Google Google Flights. That's where I learned about Priceline. So he's definitely a good listen. I like Stacking Benjamins because <laughs> they're so funny. And I love how they structure their show. They have some humor. They have some trivia. They have some interviews. It's just a very good show that has a lot of diversity in it. So I like it. I like Motley Fool Money. I just started listening to them, but they're more for advanced um, financial listeners. So they talk a lot about stocks and they use a lot of financial terms. So if you're just starting out, that's probably not a good one for you. And actually, I listen to a ton of personal finance podcasts, and I don't listen to any of those. So I am going to start binging and start, you know, subscribing to these new shows. Awesome. Tiffany, it was so great hanging out with you. Tell everyone what's the best way to connect with you. Sure. So you can follow my blog, um, www.moneytalkwitht.com. I'm all over social media at Money Talk with T. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, Money Talk with Tiff. And that's all. So what'd you think? What a story, right? Here are three takeaways that I took from our chat with Tiffany. Number one, when you're good at budgeting and you have the funds, you can afford to do certain things that maybe weren't really in your plans. But that's what money allows you to have the freedom to do things and to make decisions that align with your changing goals. In Tiffany's example, she was renting and her landlord wanted to increase the rent. And because she had money saved up already and you know, the cards kind of aligned, she was able to look into buying a house and a couple of weeks and a month later, you know, she bought her house. So I loved her advice that good budgeting really allows you the freedom and flexibility to do what you want. Number two, Tiffany also talked about how single motherhood can be a crutch for some people and that if you can do it by yourself, go ahead and do it. And I'm not a mother yet, but I am a single woman, meaning that I'm not married yet. And 
and when it comes down to taking action on my finances, I still got to do what I got to do. So I totally and utterly agree. If you can do it by yourself, go ahead and do it. Number three, Tiffany talked about keeping a close eye on her credit. And that's just a really good practice because you just never know when you will need credit and having it already at a good sitting just allows you the freedom, again, to be able to do what you want when you want. Lastly, I want to say I really, really, really connected with Tiffany's letter that she wrote to her seller. It's something that I actually honestly have never heard about before, but I love it. In the letter Tiffany wrote to the seller, she said that although this might not be the best offer, it's providing the best value. And I thought that was super touching. And if you have the option, check to see if it's better to rent or own in your city, village, or town. Again, everything we talked about, all the links galore, you can find on the show notes. You can just either swipe up in your podcast player or head to podcast.thoughtcard.com. If you're finding value in these episodes and you love what I'm doing, please hit subscribe so that you can get updates every other week when the podcast comes out. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. And I cannot wait to see you on another episode of the Thought Card Podcast. Bye. Thank you.